The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks trying to climb back into the black for the week after a wild ride for Wall Street yesterday that saw the Dow close well off a nearly 800-point loss at the lows. Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, is out on a $250 million bail while awaiting his trial for fraud and other criminal charges, one quarter of a billion dollars. Tesla, catching a bid this morning on a new promise from CEO Elon Musk over his recent share sales. Plus, much of the country either experiencing right now or bracing for what's being called a once-in-a-generation winter storm just in time for the holidays. Thousands of flights already canceled in the last 24 hours. We will track the latest ahead. And Facebook owner Meta Platforms settling a class action lawsuit tied to its Cambridge Analytica scandal. Yeah, that's still a thing right now. It's Friday, December 23rd, 2022, Christmas Eve Eve. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off the hour with a check of U.S. stock futures, which are steady after a pretty big move yesterday. Now, you can see the Dow is implied higher by just about 53 points right now. The S&P higher by just about two and the Nasdaq down by nine. That is extremely stable compared to what we saw yesterday. All of this is coming after a wild session for stocks in the previous session that saw the Dow plunge at one point just around 790 some points before ending the day only marginally lower. Now, marginal is a relative term. Still, though, the major averages all remain in the red for the month and are just one week away from snapping two-month winning streaks. You can see there the Dow Industrial is down 4.5%, the S&P down 6%, the Nasdaq Composite on a month-to-date basis down nearly 9%. Now, in the bond market, yields have been a huge focus. They have been uh, at least moving to the upside more recently, and they continue that trend today. The benchmark 10-year note yield, 3.70%. The benchmark 2-year note yield, 4.28%. So we'll keep an eye on that trade, but pretty much the entire yield curve moving up in terms of rates. In the energy market, the oil complex feeling some moves here as of late to the upside. That continues today. U.S. Benchmark West Texas Intermediate, or WTI crude prices, $79.17, 2% gains there. Very similar percentage move for World Benchmark Ice Brent crude futures, $82.71. That's up about a buck seventy-three. In cryptocurrencies, still eyeing that 16000 or so mark for Bitcoin prices. And right now, we're still above it. 16841 up about one half of 1%. Similar percentage gain for Ethereum prices, $1,219 and change there. Now, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade going on in Europe. Arabile Goumede is standing by in our London newsroom with the latest. Good morning, Arabile. 
Yeah, good morning, Dominic. So Merry Christmas to you then as we head towards the festive season, right? But no major festive cheer when it came to the market trading, particularly out in Asia, uh, which did trade a little bit lower today, taking its lead from the losses out uh, of Wall Street that we saw then yesterday. Of course, some consumer data coming out of Japan as well. Then we saw con core consumer prices uh, rising 3.7%. That makes that number for November on an annualized basis, the fastest pace of core consumer prices since December. 1981. So a negative tilt in that market picture. European markets, however, did manage to open slightly higher this morning after uh, ending in the red in yesterday's session, also getting a, a whiff of that negativity. Uh, trading expected, of course, to be light across today uh, before the Christmas break. Uh, the uh, London Stock Exchange in particular is on a half day today. So uh, that trading is expected to be quite light. A number of global markets have, however, faded when it comes to that Santa rally. So Perhaps not as prodigious as we've seen in previous times, so a bit of a fade on that front. And as you've noted, uh, markets in the U.S. as well, feeling a pinch of weakness yesterday, today pretty much stable. But nonetheless, we'll see how things begin to fare in what will be a closed time, particularly in the coming weeks. But for now, pretty much in the red. All right, Bailey Gubede in London. Have a great holiday weekend, sir. We'll see you soon. Let's get to the, some of this morning's top stories. For that, we send it over to Pippa Stevens. Hi, Pippa. Good morning, Dom. Well, Facebook parent Meta Platforms agreeing to pay $725 million to resolve a class action lawsuit accusing the company of allowing third parties, including Cambridge Analytica, to access users' personal data. Lawyers for the plaintiffs are calling the proposed settlement the largest ever to be reached in a U.S. data privacy class action. It's also the most that Meta has ever paid to resolve a class action lawsuit. Shares of Tesla catching a bid in the pre-market after CEO Elon Musk said he would refrain from selling any more Tesla stock until at least, quote, 2025 or something. Musk speaking in a Twitter spaces chat, adding his vote would be to do a share buyback once the company is able to, quote, calibrate the scale of the recession. Shares of Tesla are down more than 44% since Musk agreed to buy Twitter, while the Nasdaq is down just 2% during the same period. And China's COVID infection wave is reportedly overwhelming hospitals in Beijing. In comments shared with the Financial Times, healthcare workers say they have no beds, no oxygen, and rooms full of waiting sick people. China is currently selling one of its largest outbreaks since the pandemic began. Dom, your heart just goes out to all those impacted. It's a huge story for sure in China. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. We'll talk to you later on. It's down in the wire, down to the wire in D.C. as House lawmakers look to pass that massive spending bill before tonight's midnight deadline, one that just cleared the Senate just hours ago. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington, D.C. with the state of play now. Bree, good morning. Good morning, Dom. Yeah, down to the wire indeed. Uh, sen senators passed that legislation late last night and it now turns to the House. All of this comes as the January 6th committee releases its final report. In an eight-chapter report, the House committee investigating the January 6th attack reveals details of their findings, laying out proof that former President Trump planned to urge his supporters to march to the U.S. Capitol, outlining a fake elector scheme formed by the Trump campaign, and saying it was all part of a multi-step effort devised and driven by Donald Trump to overturn the 2020 election. No one is above the law, even a former president. The former president took to social media, blasting the report as a witch hunt. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi praising the committee's work. We have a vital roadmap ensuring justice is, will be done 
and keep and that this won't happen again. The report lays out 11 recommendations, including overhauling election laws. That's a step Congress is taking as part of its massive spending package. The $1.7 trillion bill includes $45 billion in aid for Ukraine and funds federal agencies through September. Number four with an amendment is agreed to. Senators passed the measure Thursday. A House vote today helps prevent a government shutdown before Christmas. I sincerely hope this holiday, this holiday season will drain the poison that has infected our politics and set us against one another. The new year brings a new Congress. Republicans will control the House, while Democrats will hold the majority in the Senate. American work. And when it comes to the January 6th committee's report, the committee also recommends barring former President Trump from holding office again. Dom. NBC's Bree Jackson live in Washington, D.C. with the latest there. Thank you very much. Have a great holiday weekend. When we come back on the show here, much more on yesterday's market action and a very busy day on the economic calendar today, right before the Christmas holiday. Stock futures right now mixed, but marginally so. Plus, Sam Bankman-Fried is out on $250 million worth of a bail bond as he awaits one of the most high-profile criminal trials in decades. We've got the latest ahead. And later on, the East Coast bracing for a massive winter blast, as you can see there. Thousands of flights are getting canceled or delayed. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Okay, so what you're seeing right now is a live shot from Minneapolis, St. Paul, checking in on our friends in the Twin Cities right now, where the weather is currently minus 11 degrees Fahrenheit. That cold blast hitting a lot of the Midwest right now in Minneapolis, St. Paul, getting the brunt of it. Minus 11, it could get worse. We'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on that weather. Now, today is the official start of the annual Santa Claus rally period, so to speak, which comprises of the final five trading days of the current year and the first two trading days of the new year. Santa does bring good tidings most years with the S&P 500 up an average of 1.3%. But with all these army of bears that have been hanging around the intersection of Broad and Wall Street this year, he may decide to take his business elsewhere, Santa Claus being. Now let's get some more perspective with Bill Stone, Chief Investment Officer of the Glenview Trust Company. I love the festivities. I love the hat. I'm wearing my holiday tie and sweater as well. Bill, can you first of all, can you just tell us how cold is it out where you are right now? It's a negative three, which for Louisville is uh, very cold. 
So Louisville, Kentucky, minus three. Minneapolis, minus 11. I think we're going to get cold here, but maybe not that much in the New York area. So, Bill, with your Santa hat on, can you tell us whether or not this is going to be the year where we could actually see a Santa Claus rally? Or is everyone just going to get coal in their stockings? Yeah, so I think, believe it or not, it's actually it's quite amazing. You know, I kind of scoff at a lot of the seasonal things. Um, this is fun, but it also really holds up quite well. So as you mentioned, typically up about 1.3%. To put it in perspective, usually the market's up about two-tenths of a percent during any seven-year or seven-day period, I'm sorry. Um, also up 77% of the time, normally up around 57% of the time. So again, pretty significant differences. The other thing I looked at, which is um, December in general is usually a good month, um, but it usually is impacted by what's happened the year to date before that. So usually if you have a bad year before, which we have, uh, December is not as good, which again, we have experienced a negative December so far. But then when you look at what happens during the Santa Claus rally, it, it actually is still holds up quite well. Still 69% of the time you have uh, stocks rally during the Santa Claus rally period. So, you know, I think it's, I don't think you should write off that Santa may, uh, may come again this year. All right. So if Santa were to make an appearance this year for the Santa Claus rally period, which parts of the market through your research bill tend to do well during this kind of seasonal period for about a week and a half or so? You know, I, I mean, I think it's it's a pretty general rally. Uh, me personally, if I was looking at my uh, you know shopping list for Christmas, I definitely would continue to look for the high quality you know stocks, particularly at decent valuations. I think the the issue is while I'm I'm very festive about this, I, I do think we've got more challenges ahead with you know what, what you've talked about earlier, which is what the market's struggling with which is probably a recession coming up next year, um, you know, how much more we hike interest rates, et cetera. So you've got to be positioned ready to, to get through that, uh, you know, all being said of, of being pretty positive here for the short run. Is it, is it fair to say, I mean, uh, from your expert opinion, we've heard so much about the recession talk, uh, whether it's going to be shallow, whether it could be deeper. We had noted hedge fund manager David Tepper uh, on air yesterday during Squawk Box talking about this idea that he's leaning towards being short right now. And of course, we saw the markets kind of follow through on that yesterday. Is there a sense right now in your mind of what the consensus is? Are we due for a market downturn in the first half of next year? I I mean, I I think it would be odd not to struggle a bit if we actually do finally start to see the economy faltering. Because again, you know, right now you just look the economy actually is holding up oh, probably better than at least the financial markets would like. I do think that's part of the issue is the worry that the Fed may have to continue to hike even harder uh, in order to, you know, it's not like they're trying to hurt the economy. That's a secondary effect is really to end up uh, getting inflation under control. Um, so, again, it wouldn't surprise me to see some more, uh, you know, struggles as you actually finally start to see some weakening economy uh, in, uh, I would argue, probably a little more the the latter half of the year, but I think, you know, slowing into it. All right. The thoughts from Bill Stone in his Santa hat. I wish you a Merry Christmas, sir. Have a nice weekend. You too. Thank you very much, Bill. We'll see you soon. Still on deck for the show, the one Fang stock about to do something for the first time since the dot-com bust, down more than 50% so far year to date. This is your mystery chart revealed. 
when Worldwide Exchange returns after this, down 50% year to date. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Okay, so here's your next live shot. This is our friends out in Kansas City, Missouri, where it is minus six degrees Fahrenheit, going all the way up to a balmy plus nine degrees. We've got much more on today's wild winter weather ahead, but still our friends in the Midwest, very chilly right now. Welcome back to the show. Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, is heading home out on bail as he awaits trial. Mackenzie Sagalos has been following the story for us all week. CNBC tech reporter Mackenzie what is the latest here with SBF? Hey, good morning, Dom. That's right, the former FTX CEO is out on a $250 million bond, the largest ever for pretrial bail in U.S. history. For context, Ponzi schemer Bernie Madoff was subject to a $10 million bail secured by his mansions across the country. Enron CEO Jeff Skilling had to post a $5 million bail, and recently imprisoned Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes had to fork over $500,000. Now, the terms of Bankman-Fried's bail agreement also include electronic monitoring and restrictions on mobility. He's had his passport confiscated and will be confined to the Northern District of California, where he will be living with his parents in their Palo Alto home. His parents co-signed that bond and put up equity in their house as collateral, which is due on January 12th. Now, as for that $250 million bond, that number is actually less impressive when you consider the fact that Bankman-Fried's parents merely had to guarantee his behavior and put up the equity in their Palo Alto house. The house is valued at $4 million on Zillow, a fraction of the $250 million that he owes. A former federal prosecutor described it as essentially an unsecured bond, sort of an empty promise only backed by his parents' interest in their home, which is all that they stand to lose if he flees. Okay, so, so Mackenzie, any word on how he pled to those eight criminal charges that are now on the record? There was actually no arraignment yesterday because the presiding judge was out. So Bateman-Fried has not yet entered a plea for those eight criminal charges. That should happen at the next court hearing on January 3rd. In the meantime, Bankman-Fried is headed to California. The government no longer footing the bill for his travel, so it's unclear whether he's flying commercial or paying to fly private. A source close to the Bankman-Fried team told me a short time ago that Bankman-Fried is wheels down, apparently flying commercial, but we're awaiting firm guidance on this. Now, also, we already know that two of Bankman-Fried's former top executives and lieutenants we're talking about co-founder Gary Wang, also Caroline Ellison from Alameda Research are now cooperating with federal prosecutors after pleading guilty to felonies themselves. But what about some of SBF's other top lieutenants? Will we be seeing more federal indictments for some of his associates within FTX? So you have three other major players in the FTX Alameda empire to look out for. There's Ryan Salem, who we already know went to Bahamian regulators two days before FTX filed for bankruptcy. Salem told them that Bankman-Fried, Gary Wang, and FTX co-founder Nishad Singh were the only three people who had the authority to sign off on possible fraudulent transfers of customer money from FTX to Bankman-Fried's crypto hedge fund Alameda. 
Sam Tribuco had been co-leading Alameda before resigning in August. He's not responded to my multiple requests for comment, and he has been noticeably quiet on Twitter. Last time we saw a post from him was November 8th as the FTX Alameda empire was unwinding, saying that the past few days had been dark for many and that he hoped the road ahead was brighter. It's unclear whether any back-channeling is happening, but it is definitely something to look out for. All right, and then uh, finally, Mac, does SBF have any leverage whatsoever <laughs> or room to cooperate with prosecutors? Any plan for leniency? Now that Bateman Freed is back on U.S. soil, he doesn't have much leverage unless he has intel that he is willing to share on other bad actors in the crypto industry. Former federal prosecutor tells me that Bateman Freed will likely be trying to gain cooperation credit by providing information that may be useful in other investigations. That being said, it is not as easy as it sounds. To get that cooperation credit, SBF would have to provide information that leads to successful prosecutions of other individuals. All right, Mackenzie Sagalos with the latest there on SBF. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Now let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Philip, good morning. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Millions are under some form of weather alert as heavy snow, strong winds and record breaking cold are creating dangerous conditions across much of the U.S. In Texas, more than 74,000 are without power and other states like Georgia, Tennessee and Missouri are also facing significant outages. The NHL has postponed the Detroit-Ottawa game in Canada today, as well as the Tampa-Buffalo game in New York. Authorities in Minnesota and Iowa have responded to more than 570 crashes on Thursday after ice and blizzard conditions wreaked havoc on both states. Thankfully, no deaths were reported. The CDC is issuing a new warning about an increase in cases of invasive strep A in children. In Denver, there have been 11 cases of kids between 10 months and 6 years old who have been infected. Two of them died. Health officials are investigating this uptick in infections. Overseas in the UK, it's claimed the lives of more than 20 children. The increase in strep A infections is happening amid a rise in respiratory viruses, including RSV, influenza, and COVID. Now to some hard-nosed football from the suddenly hot Jacksonville Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence using every inch of that six-foot-six frame to stretch over the goal line. It was the game's only touchdown. Jacksonville grounding the Jets on their home turf, picking off Zach Wilson and keeping New York out of the end zone. The Jaguars win it 19-3. Dom, this was the worst team in football last year, and now... They might be headed to the playoffs. They control their own destiny, from what I understand. If they yep. win out in their final games against the Titans, they could be playoff bound. Philip Mena, thank you very much for the update. Have a great holiday weekend, sir. You too. Still on deck for the show, Microsoft firing back at the FTC over the agency's push to block its nearly $69 billion deal to buy Activision Blizzard. Plus, new headaches for Tesla as the federal government opens new probes into crashes involving one of its trademark features. And by the way, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange, audio format. We'll be right back. Stocks trying to head into the holiday weekend with some cheer. As the choppy trading continues, futures right now are muted ahead of the opening bell. Tech's no good, very bad 2022 rolling on with some of these sectors' biggest names shedding trillions in value, but the losses not stopping some analysts from betting on tech's brightest stars in 2023. And Congress up against the clock. The Senate signing off on that massive spending package, 
with the House now racing to finalize the deal before tonight's big deadline to do so. It's Friday, December 23rd, Christmas Eve Eve. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan. What you're seeing behind me is now a live shot of right outside across the river in New York City from here at CNBC Global Headquarters, where it is 55 degrees, very balmy compared to what we saw in Kansas City and Minneapolis, where it's about minus nine to minus 11 right now. But that 55 degrees is going to get scary because we're going to go down to 11 degrees later on tonight. So a lot of the rain in the area could freeze over if we don't get some kind of some of that wind to kind of blow and dry things out. But that tree in Rockefeller Center is still looking as bright and beautiful as it always has. Let's get right now to how markets are shaping up on this final trading day of the week. Futures, as I pointed out, are muted right now. The Dow is implied higher by just around 97 points. The S&P by nine and the Nasdaq up by 19. Now, that's decent, but this is all coming after a wild session for stocks yesterday that saw the Dow plunge almost 800 points at one point before ending the day just fractionally lower. Still, though, the major averages all remain in the red for the month and are just one week away from snapping two-month winning streaks. Remember, on a month-to-day basis, the Dow, the S&P, and NASDAQ down anywhere from 45 to 8.5%. In the bond market, yields are ticking higher this morning. The benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield just a hair below 3.7%. The two-year note yield 4.281%, and the 30-year long bond 3.76% there. Let's also hit oil prices. They were up just about a half an hour ago. They remain so right now. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI prices, $79.17, up a buck 69, 2% gain there. Similar percentage advance for ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $82.66, up about a buck 68. Now, let's check on some of this morning's top stories. For those, we have Pippa Stevens here with us. Pippa. Hey, Dom. Well, that more than $1.6 trillion bill to fund the federal government officially clearing the Senate. Lawmakers in that chamber voting 69 to 29 to approve the package yesterday. It now heads to the House, which is expected to vote on and pass the measure today before tonight's midnight deadline. Federal regulators are investigating Tesla over a pair of crashes involving its vehicles. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is specifically looking at the role Tesla's driver assistance systems and automated driving systems may have played in those crashes. According to data obtained from the agency by CNBC, it's looking into at least 41 crashes involving Tesla vehicles where automated features were involved. And Microsoft responding to the FTC over its bid to block the tech giant's deal to buy Activision Blizzard. In its response, Microsoft says the nearly $69 billion deal would not harm competition. It cited the fact that it is a third-place manufacturer of gaming consoles with its Xbox system behind the likes of Sony and Nintendo. Dom, I think it's been almost a year at this point uh, since Microsoft first announced that proposed acquisition. It's going to be facing a lot of regulatory scrutiny for a while now, I think. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much for that. Sticking with technology and the Nasdaq coming off a more than 2% loss yesterday on pace for its third down week in a row. The index is, by the way, by far the worst performing major U.S. average of the group, down more than 8% this month and down more than 32% so far in 2022, which would make it its worst year on record going back to its 42% loss in 2008. Remember what happened then. Joining me now is big technology founder, also CNBC contributor, now Alex Kantrowitz. 
Uh, Alex, this has been a rough year for technology. It has been due in large part, you can argue, to rising interest rates hitting valuations. Is that similar story going to be something that we have to look for in 2023 as well? Absolutely. The Fed is showing no sign of slowing down, which means this new math that we have for tech companies, where their growth and their margins aren't going to be valued as much as their profits, that is going to persist into 2023. And I think there's going to be more more trouble ahead, more struggles, more pressure to cut. And we'll see what happens next year. But it doesn't look like it's going to get much better anytime soon for tech. Now, now I, this is also a story. We've, we've talked a lot about valuations and, and the effect of higher rates, making it more competitive for certain assets versus stocks, especially tech. What about the earnings story? There, there's been some optimism that the earnings for technology companies may not be as bad as some people are predicting. Is that something to look forward to in 2023? Yeah, I I don't know, Dom. I mean, this seems to be a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of market, right? If the earnings data is really good, then your investors will be like, oh, okay, the Fed is going to raise rates even more. So, you know, let's be meek about the stock, maybe pull back a little bit more. If they, um, you know, and if they miss earnings rates, sorry, if they miss earnings reports, then investors are going to flee the stocks. So if you're investing in tech right now, I would say the long term uh, is really your friend, right? You got to think about the fundamentals of these companies. You can't think about it in a quarter to quarter basis. Um, eventually, the, the Fed is going to pull off these interest rate rises, uh, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. And again, any news in any direction, you can find a negative story there. So if you're thinking a couple years ahead, great. If you're thinking quarter to quarter, it's going to be a struggle. All right. So, Alex, we want to call some attention right now to what's happening with Amazon.com. And by the way, that was this morning's mystery chart, one of the big tech, you know, big cap tech stocks that's been around since the 1999 tech bubble. The stock is now trading at its lowest level since March of 2019, having lost more than half of its value so far this year. And at this level will be Amazon's worst year, second only to the dot-com bust in 2000, when Amazon shares fell by 79% in a single year. Amazon still trades at roughly 62 times forward earnings. Alex, what do you think about Amazon? Yeah, I had a feeling this was going to be the mystery stock. Um, Amazon is one of those companies that is sort of the poster child uh, for the problems that have emerged for tech, especially now that the Fed had uh, you know, spent so many, many years uh, in the zero interest rate policy and now is, is calling back, right? Because what the incentives were previously was spend on infrastructure, spend on growth. And now it's control costs. Now, you had that in combination with Amazon's need to scale up infrastructure in the middle of the pandemic. And the costs went out of control. The earnings uh, uh, expectations were measured up on years that were just very difficult to match. And so you end up having this company as like the um, coyote, you know, with the roadrunner off the cliff, right, where it's running, running, running. And all of a sudden, it's got no more ground to run on. And it's basically gone from this darling uh, to a company in freefall. And those those facts are not going to change anytime soon unless Andy Jassy is able to control costs. But those are much more difficult to do when you're talking about physical infrastructure, the type that Amazon has with uh, data centers and fulfillment centers. It's not just like you can cut a bunch of employees and, and all of a sudden your numbers look different. There's actual facts on the ground that Amazon has to deal with, and that's going to be a struggle. All right. Now, speaking of kind of the downdraft that we've seen, one of the big victims over the course of this past year in valuations 
has been none other than Kathy Wood and her ARK Invest. Many of her flagship funds, including the ARK Innovation ETF, have seen tremendous losses over the course of the year as some of those big disruptive type stocks have fallen out of favor. Do you think those will become storylines to the upside in the coming year or are the headwinds still going to remain there for some of those so-called disruptive names in technology? Well, that's certainly what Kathy's been saying. And I, I think there's some logic to it, right? When the Fed eventually moderates its stance, uh, you have the companies that have really suffered the most, the tech companies, especially the high growth tech companies. They, they stand in line to gain from the benefits of the, the switch. Um, but the question is, again, when does that switch happen? Does it happen next quarter? Does it happen, you know, even somewhat deep into next year? We don't know yet because the Fed is determined to get this inflation story under control. And so far, all the data that we see is that that is not happening fast enough for its liking. And as long as that's the case, these high growth innovation stocks are going to be the ones that suffer the most. So when it flips, of course, Kathy Wood's funds are going to go you know, uh, much higher than they've been in the past. But we can definitely expect some damage in, in you know, the near term for those stocks, for all the other big tech stocks as well. Alex, before we let you go, we've, we've got a few moments left here. What do you think is going to be the biggest tech story of 2023? Man, I, I've been watching this stuff happening uh, in the generative AI space, things like ChatGPT, Dolly, and, and their, their ilk. And I think that there's going to be a productivity boom in this country and in the world when companies and individuals understand how to harness this technology. Now, for a long time, it was all about what was happening in the research labs. But finally, we're getting it in our hands. And that's going to make a big difference as people find creative uses for this, this type of technology. And then they put it into action. And I think that is the number one story to watch as we move into next year. Alex Kantrowicz. At Big Technology, also a CNBC contributor. Thank you very much. Have a great holiday weekend, sir. Thank you, Dom. All right, coming up on the show, the latest on that massive winter storm that's creating conditions that are just hazardous across the much of the U.S. anyway, and snarling travel for those trying to get home for the Christmas holiday weekend. We're watching that map, and the winter storm does not look good. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Now to the latest on that massive winter storm wreaking havoc, creating dangerous conditions ahead of the Christmas holiday weekend. The system bringing heavy snow, rain, and dangerous cold conditions across a large part of America. It's also creating headaches for people trying to travel, with airlines delaying or just outright canceling thousands of flights leaving passengers stranded across the country. NBC meteorologist Angie Lastman joins us now with the latest on the storm. What can you tell us, Angie? I can tell you that it's going to be bitter cold. We're going to see blizzard conditions in some areas that could see up to three feet of snow uh, and an overall mess when it comes to travel over the next couple of days, Dom. Here's what's going on. 60% of the population right now in the United States is under some sort of winter weather alert, watch, warning, advisory, you name it, we've got it, especially east of the Rockies. 160 million people right now impacted by those dangerously cold uh, conditions with alerts up as we speak. And you can see why. It's not hard to tell where the really cold air is. Bismarck, minus 37 at this hour for the wind chill. Feeling like minus 24 in Kansas City. Cincinnati, you're 26 degrees below for what it feels like right now. Now, as we look a little farther to the south, this air continues to move southward as we get into tomorrow morning. And the deep south could be seeing temperatures feeling like the teens in many locations. Houston, just 10 degrees tomorrow morning. If you're waking up in New Orleans, 13 degrees for what it feels like. Uh, And as far south as Orlando, they will see temperatures below freezing 
many people are going to be impacted by that cold air, but that's only one facet of this system. We'll see uh, the snow, the rain also be impactful. The winds will be a big issue, too. Here's the current setup of your satellite and radar. You can see on one half of this, we're seeing mostly rain. That's what we're looking at from places like Pittsburgh to Washington to New York and even Boston. On the back half, we're seeing snow working through places like Detroit, where that's going to be a major travel trouble uh, destination here over the next couple of days. As we look, though, at the temperatures over the next basically 12 hours, we'll see them come crashing down. Washington, D.C., 45 degrees right now. As we get that colder air working in just 10 degrees later today, Dom, that means a 35 degree temperature difference. And with rain, that could make some real uh, issues on those roadways with the wet surfaces and the cold temperatures causing some black ice. I mean, Angie, slick conditions, and it's something we talked about just yesterday. I wonder what you can tell us about kind of the longer term outlook. Let's say we get through the next 24 to 36 hours. As we head towards Christmas into the holiday on Monday and Tuesday, do things get better? Things do get better, depending on where you are. We've been dealing a lot with those temperatures in the in the central plains where we see temperatures falling to 60 below in some spots. That's going to improve. But if, in your, if you're in places like western New York, uh, Sunday will be a day of cleanup. Buffalo could see 30 hours of whiteout conditions with these really intense winds up to 75 miles per hour. And not to mention the heavy snow falling. That's going to create a mess for them as they gear up for Christmas. Beyond that, we'll quickly start to see temperatures rising. We could see a big temperature jump of maybe 30, 40 degrees in New York by the time we get into the middle of next week. NBC meteorologist Angie Lastman with the latest there. Have a happy and safe holiday weekend. Angie, we'll see you soon. All right, on deck for the show, stocks finding for momentum to cap off another rocky week of trading. Our market panel lays out the trading day ahead and the names that they are bullish on. Where are the opportunities in this market? We'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m. hour. So here we go. Meta agreeing to pay $725 million to settle a class action lawsuit accusing Facebook of letting third parties access users' personal information. The suit stems from revelations in the 2018 Facebook uh, case that allowed Cambridge Analytica to access data from as many as 87 million users. Elon Musk says he will not sell more Tesla stock until at least 2025. Speaking on Twitter, Musk added Tesla's board is open to a share buyback, but that depends on the severity of any recession. Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, is out on a $250 million bond. SBF being ordered to stay with his parents in Northern California while awaiting trial. His next hearing is scheduled for just after the new year, January 3rd. Taiwan Semiconductor is in talks with suppliers about setting up its first plant in Europe. The Financial Times reports the company is sending executives to Germany early next year to discuss a potential site near Dresden. Uh, Apple's retail store workers in Australia are on strike demanding better conditions and wages. They plan to stay away through the Christmas Eve portion of the holiday. And China's wave of COVID infections is overwhelming hospitals in Beijing. The Financial Times reports healthcare workers say they have no beds, no oxygen, and rooms full of waiting sick people. Well, we are now gearing up for the training day ahead. We get several pieces of economic data before heading out the door for the long holiday weekend. 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Look for November durable goods, also personal income and spending. This report also contains, by the way, the Fed's favorite gauge of inflation, the PCE or 
Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, looking at the core numbers there as well. At 10 a.m., it's the final read on December consumer sentiment, as well as November new home sales. So a lot of potential catalysts in this coming trading morning. For more on this final trading day of the week and the chopping trading week that we've had, let's bring in Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial. He's also a CNBC contributor. Also, Chris Zaccarelli, chief investment officer at Independent Advisor Alliance. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very both. Uh, Jeff Kilberg, I cannot help but notice your outfit because of that. And this is no knock on you, Chris. We're going to go with the festive guy first. Jeff in the bright red. Can you take us through what you think about the trading week that we've had so far? And do you feel more bearish because of it? Well, Dom, you know, the Christmas song goes, the weather was frightful. And my goodness, here in Chicago, the weather is frightful. And the market, by and large, this week has been a whipsaw. Thin volume, expectations, and it's interesting to see. The market has really moved more towards an anticipatory market. So we do get better than expected data. Look at GDP just yesterday. And sure enough, we see a sell-off. So we are trusting and hoping that the Fed is going to continue to stay committed to what they say. But let's just rewind a year ago, Dom, when they talked about the transitory component of inflation. They were dead wrong. So I think the market has gotten ahead of itself. I look at the VIX. The VIX is elevated, but nonetheless, the VIX has been elevated all year. So I think where we are right now in the S&P 500, as we set up this very thin trading day going into the long holiday weekend, I think we're at the lower end of the range. But I do have some cautious optimism. I'm wearing the red coat for crying out loud, Dom. I think there may be, there's a small sliver of hope for a Santa Claus rally. All right. So, Chris, We've been talking a lot about a Santa Claus rally uh, uh, because it is a seasonal tendency. It is not gospel by any measure, and we've seen a very dismal December so far. But when we refer to the Santa Claus rally, I know the technical people are going to say it is the final five-day trading days of this year, the first two of the next year. But generally speaking, is the sentiment in your mind one that can turn around, or are we going to be like this in a downward churn for the first half of next year? I mean, unfortunately, it's been a really negative year. You know, the Santa Claus rally that a lot of people were expecting to happen still hasn't happened. And to your point, technically, there's still time for it to happen. But sentiment's very negative. It's been a difficult year. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of changes that are going to happen between now and the first quarter. So unfortunately, we're still feeling relatively negative, at least in the short run. For next year, there's probably three things we're looking for. We're expecting the unemployment rate to go up to 5%. We're expecting Fed funds to go over 5%. We're expecting S&P earnings to come down by 10% or more. So at least in the beginning part of the year, it does look a little bit negative. We think there's a lot of things you can do to protect your portfolio, whether it's putting in inflation hedges or going to some more defensive uh, sectors like healthcare. But in general, we do think it's a negative setup, and we'll see what happens in the last week of the year. There's always that possibility of things go higher. I hope that we do get that Santa Claus rally. But if we do, it'll probably be pretty short-lived because, unfortunately, we're still in a bear market, and there's nothing that shows me that that's changed, at least at this point in time. Chris Zaccarelli bringing the coal for investor stockings right now. That doesn't sound good, but you did mention some of those defensive parts of the market, things that you like in healthcare. Can you take us through what's on the shopping list hypothetically for you, given that more dire outlook? Yeah, absolutely. If you're looking more defensive, again, on the healthcare side, you could look at something like an Amgen, look at something like a Johnson & Johnson, those types of companies that should persist, whether or not we get a shallow recession or we somehow avoid it and get that soft landing that everyone's hoping for. On the other side, I think there's some energy names you can look at, whether that's Occidental Petroleum or Chevron. Both of those are great inflation hedges. So yes, typically, if the economy does go down, energy suffers. 
This time may be a little bit different just because we're in an inflationary environment. And it does seem like at least from an oil and natural gas production point of view, we're very undersupplied. So we may see a different uh, tact in the energy sector this recession if there is one. Uh, and that's one thing that I'd say is a little bit different than what we've seen in the last 30 or 40 years. All right, Jeff, what do you think? I mean, are, are you getting defensive? What, what's on your shopping list right now? Well, Dom, we've, we've transitioned from growth to value all year long. Yes, I do agree with Chris on owner energy. We want that theme, that sector to persist in 2023. We also like United Healthcare, Johnson Johnson, that, that, that way to really protect the portfolio. But that industrial shift is, is appropriate. But where I'm going to push back on Chris is two of the things that he talked about earning expectations. We've already seen those prices come down. Valuations. But the one thing that's so underappreciated, it's this lag effect. I go back to all the years I traded U.S. Treasuries, and I look at the lag effect. So what happened? We saw the 10-year note pop from 1.5% to 4.5%. What happened a month or two or three later? We saw equities absolutely crater, to Chris's point, down 20%. It doesn't feel good. But where I do take a little bit of solace and where I think he is too defensive and too bearish is that the market has the ability to move higher now that we've seen the dollar cool off. Now we've seen the VIX come down, but we've also seen U.S. Treasury stay tethered, specifically in the 10-year note, to 3.5%. So I think that puts us in a place where we've seen so much pessimism. We look at the 200-day moving average in the S&P 500, which is just about 200 handles higher here, about 40.23. If we do see a close back above there, and I know we've tested there a couple times, Dom, but that's going to catch a lot of people off sides. And remember, this is so critical to remember, volatility takes markets up in the same way it takes markets down. So, Chris, that's an interesting point about the about what's happened with the dollar. It's not maybe surprising, given the fact that the Fed has been arguably ahead of the curve with regard to raising rates and trying to fight inflation. So is that dollar story, the fact that it rose so much, but it is now not rolling over, but it's come off significantly in the last several months here. Is that going to be a story for the early part of 2023? It may be. And one thing I would say is while we're negative on the market in the short run, I agree. I mean, if, if earnings come down, but we're finding a bottom, the market can rally. So what the market does could be separate from what earnings do. And typically the market is forward looking. So I don't completely disagree with what Jeff's saying as far as the market going higher. But as far as the dollar story, for now, we've seen the dollar get a lot stronger, both because there's been a flight to safety, as well as the fact that the U.S. economy has been outperforming uh, Europe, and China, for the most part, has been shut down. To the extent that we see the dollar get a little bit weaker, that is very helpful for the S&P 500. 60% of S&P 500 uh, revenues are happening uh, around the world. And so with multinational index, the S&P 500 isn't as domestic as people think. So I agree. If the dollar does get weaker, that's helpful for the S&P 500. That'll make our goods much more uh, competitive around the world. And that could be a bright spot for 2023 that some people are talking about. But I agree, it's worth highlighting. It's something that could be a big story well, Chris, for 2023, which would be I'd so like high. to jump in and say that could be a bright spot for the rest of 2022. The dollar index is up sure. at 114. It's at 103 now. So what I'm trying to say is everything is reactionary or anticipatory towards the Fed. But what I think we see is a lag effect. So I do think we have a little bit of move higher, we are going to test that 20 moving average and people are underinvested or they're caught off sides. That is the volatility that moves markets higher. All right. Jeff Kilberg, Chris Zaccarelli, gentlemen, thank you both for being here. I wish you both a happy holiday weekend. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you celebrate, enjoy the long weekend. That's a live shot of New York City in Rockefeller Center and Times Square. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. We'll see you back here on Tuesday morning. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.